Hello and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. As always, I'm your host, Joshua Thanos, and today I have a very special guest, a man who can be described as a pet lover, uh, a gourmet, someone who loves to cook, a, a master maybe of the culinary arts, a watch collector for sure, uh, a giant human being, oh yeah, and also a Super Bowl champion. His name is Mitchell Schwartz. Hey, Mitch. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking time out of the busy day. I know we're all we're all so busy these days. <laughs> yeah, not so busy anymore these days. Uh, that's for sure. And this is, I mean, kind of selfish here, but on a personal note, it's kind of a decent time because you know we don't have anything. The season just ended a couple months ago, so really all I'd be doing right now is working out. You know, an hour or two a day at the facility. Those are all shut down right now, so just trying to you know do home workout stuff. I know you're. All in the fitness at your house and doing all that, so I always see oh, what yeah. you're doing and try to pick up some stuff. Yeah, yeah, trying to try to stay in shape over here, trying to keep up with the professional athletes. So, <laughs> so, so wait, wait. So, are you saying you're not working out? Are you guys? Is everyone going to show up next season out of shape or what? So I'm working out. I'm doing just like body weight stuff. So the team sent us some stuff to do from from home. Um, one workout, kind of assuming that you don't have any weights at all on one, assuming you get some dumbbells, but. The NFL and the PA kind of got together and they basically shut all the facilities down, period. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the moment, you know, I'm not even allowed in. Um, you know, I'm hoping they open those back up, you know, in a few weeks and get into the swing of things. No one really knows when we're supposed to start. I mean, we're supposed to start April 18th or something or April 20th, whatever that, that Monday ends up being. Um, and I know those are kind of delayed for now. Um, there's been some chatter potentially, you know, they could just cancel the whole off season program and we just show up for training camp, which happened in 2011 during the lockout. So it's happened before. And I think, you know, guys would stay in shape and and be ready. Yeah. Well, I mean, professional athletes is what you guys do. So it's not like, it's not like you don't want to work out, you know, it's not like we got to kick you off the the couch. (laughs) 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 So, well, for people who've been living under a rock, obviously we're talking about, you know, this coronavirus shutdown, everybody's locked out. Uh, um, I guess this podcast started during this, so this could almost be like the Corona Chronicles or something, but uh, it seems (laughs) like everybody's just trying to stay sane and stay, uh, keep their head above water when it comes to to, you know, their daily life. But, um, you know, and, and, and also people, if you live in under a rock and you don't know who Mitch is, he plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, the, uh, the 2019, or is it what, 2020 or 2019? Cause it's like, it bleeds into the next, I don't have a good definition right? for that. I think we're the 2019 NFL champions, but we won right. the 2020 Super Bowl. Okay. All right. Well, important so. distinction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A, a thrilling game. Thankfully, uh, uh, you guys uh, pulled it out in the end, and that was that was really really fun. I, luckily for me, selfishly, you know, uh, knowing you kind of gave me a dog in the fight because you know I didn't really I don't I don't really to be honest. I mean, I'm a Dolphins fan, which means you know I don't really have much to root for, especially for the last twenty years. <laughs> so uh, uh, you know, being able to root hard for a, for a team in the Super Bowl was uh, was great. Feels good. So I thank you for that. Appreciate that, Mitch. And I know you did a great job. We unbelievable. Uh, you had some uh, basically. You contributed to what was it? The first touchdown, the the run by um, I'm trying to remember who who made the touchdown. Oh, uh, Damian. Yes. Um, yeah, we actually didn't score on that cool play. We ran that the fourth and one from like oh, the four right. yard line, and we'd literally been practicing that play since like May, and so. Mm-hmm. Almost every week we had that play in the, the playbook. And, um, you know, those specialty plays, I mean, 
we do a little twirl and a dance and the whole line shifts and it's a very high risk uh, play. So you need to make sure you do it. But weirdly enough, going into that game, you know, we had that, we liked that play as, you know, a short yardage play. It's kind of just a, a dive at the end of the day. And um, right. typically that's where we carried it. But we also liked it kind of right in that three, four, five yard line range. And so mm-hmm. we got a fourth and one like at the four yard line, which is kind of both situations that we wanted it. You know, yeah. still the first quarter and we just said, Let's do it. Let's go with it. Um, yeah, he, he got tackled at like the six-inch line, and it would have been amazing if he oh, scored right. on that play. And yeah. I think I think we ran some sort of play and maybe pat through for a touchdown or ran for a touchdown. But, um, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite plays because that was just it's super cool. And it took us a long time to get the timing down for that. I can imagine. Well, so I'm, I'm in my house. We had Super Bowl party at that time. That was back when you could have parties. So hopefully <laughs> we can get yeah. back to that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and all I'm yelling is, I know that guy. See the guy who made the block. I know that guy. That's <laughs> awesome. Was, yeah. yeah, well, again, I thank you for that. That was, uh, you know, added added some excitement to us. But um, so that was amazing. Obviously, you're still riding high. Um, but before we get too far into the podcast, uh, let's do our customary wrist check, the audio-only wrist check. So, Mitch, what, what do you got on the wrist this morning? Yeah, I've got a, uh, a JLC. It's a Master Compressor Extreme World Time which is quite the mouthful, but it's a relatively new pickup. Had it for about a couple months here. Uh, I was supposed to be in Paris at this exact moment that we're taping this podcast. Uh, one of my buddies was getting married in Ireland in about a week and a half, and so my wife and I like to take a uh, an international trip around this time of year when you know we don't have any responsibility. So we kind of piggybacked off that Ireland trip, and we had this whole trip plan we're going to england wow. going to paris going to ireland uh obviously had to cancel that uh wow. due to the the coronavirus situation so um i had a ball world timer that i picked up last year and was kind of always looking to maybe upgrade that into something uh a little more official there are a couple of things i didn't love about that one and so mm-hmm. did a bunch of research i mean one of the things is you know when you travel international i don't want to be bringing extra watches i kind of just want to bring the one watch that can do everything. And so I wanted something that, you know, world time function chronograph would be awesome or some sort of bezel to, to time things. Uh, want a good loom. I wanted to be able to jump on the water with it. I mean, a lot of the time we end up somewhere with a beach or a pool. Um, just me being big, I needed something, you know, that was maybe over 42 millimeters, which also works well with world times cause you do need the space to see everything. So I did all the research, uh, kind of settled on on this JLC and I got it in the the platinum case which has the titanium core it's uh one of the cool things with this watch is they tell you you can golf with it and motorbike with it and everything uh, in between which I don't know that I'll test it to that capability but um it's pretty durable it's rugged um it's got a strap change system that uh you just kind of pull a tab straps pop out so you can you know bring a rubber strap for the water you can bring something a little dressier for for during the day or at night um kind of just perfect i mean it's got a, a gray dial which I, I really love um they have you know this one in a the stainless variety but uh you got a black kind of exterior dial with all the uh the different uh places in the world and then you've got the 24-hour ring that's more white and then inside of that is a black dial and so personally i felt like that was kind of a dial within a dial um where this the platinum variant with the gray dial just kind of looks like the entire uh, spectrum of, of gray there and so kind of makes it look and wear a little bigger and I love that and so um, it's been wearing great I love it uh, honestly I've been wearing it around the house a bunch lately uh, 
being at home because all I do is cook essentially and so uh pretend like you're somewhere else maybe change the the gmt (laughs) it's a good watch to have on when i'm cooking because you know i usually use my left hand to kind of shake pans and pots and all that and i know that the watch is not going to be any worse for wear all the shaking and then it's got a chrono so i can kind of like yesterday i made you know shrimp with rice and started timing when the rice went on and uh just kind of ends up being a a pretty good stay-at-home watch as well so that's what nice. I've been rocking, and uh, I've had a lot of fun with it. Cool. And I think that is that the newest piece in your collection? The Ox is technically the newest piece. Oh, uh, that's right. You just, just received that. that. Yeah. All so, right. So we'll talk about that in a um, second, too. But uh, yeah. But that's cool. Cause, well, so uh, I know that when you were thinking about getting this watch, you, 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 were, you were texting. Uh, you and I were texting about it, and we're like, hey, we need a waterproof world time uh, I can't remember if, if Chrono was like a was a deal breaker or not, but I remember we were going through no, and trying to figure out... Yeah, so we we were trying to like figure out what it was, and then like this came up, we're like ah, but I don't know, and then it ended up being the JLC, which, I mean, as far as diving chrono, uh, diving world timers, like they just there's no other better option, right? I mean, I think we decided yeah. to figure that out, right? I think so, and like you said, I mean, the one I looked at the Squadra version, um, which you had shown me in right, person, yeah. and. Mm-hmm. I realized that one was a little chunkier than I thought it would be, and also 15 meters water resistant from you know 10 or 12 years ago. Probably couldn't swim with it. Yeah. Um, and then you sent me the JLC in the steel with the black dial, and that's the dial that I didn't love quite as much. And so once I did more research and saw the gray dial, it kind of all just uh, clicked into place for me. Yeah. And like you said, got the chrono on top. Nice, awesome, man, cool. Well, that's fantastic. That was a perfect audio wrist check. I think most descriptive we had so far. So I think, you know, I think there's no doubt about what you have on your wrist. Um, as for me, uh, my, my watch is not quite as, as exciting. I have a, a Panerai Pam 002. So this is a, uh, it's a vintage Panerai. I guess you call it vintage. I mean, it's from 1997, a serial. Um, this watch has an interesting story. Um, a friend of mine owns a hotel in, um, in Jamaica. And uh, I went to visit uh, the hotel. We stayed for the for about a week, my wife and I, and he says, hey, by the way, I have, uh, you know, my friend has this watch. He's had it for, I don't know how many years. He found it while he was scuba diving off the off the coast of Negril, and that's where we were at. And he goes, he wants to know if it's real, and if it's real, you know, if it is real, if it's worth anything. So I went and found it, and the watch was, uh, well, number one, it was real. Number two, it was absolutely destroyed. It looked like it had been sitting under the water for, you know, in the ocean for years on end. The dial was, you know, had a lot of uh, patina, as you like to call it, or as I like to call yeah. it. It's really just water damage. Uh, right. The movement was all rusted out. And, uh, but luckily, you know, through Godberg's, we were able to get it refurbished and uh, it's still running. Uh, I don't wear it as much as, as I probably should because I have other Panerai's now and I'm, I'm worried about. I don't want to have to refinish this again. It was badly beaten. We refinished it to the point where, you know, the the logs and the case is a little a little more rounded than I'd like, and I don't want to have to replace the case. I like to try to keep it as original as possible. So it's just it's just making uh, special occasions. But seeing as we don't leave the house now, I guess I don't really have much of a <laughs> of a risk of beating it up too much. So I've been wearing it around the house here and there. Um, I try not to wear it in the water. I, I don't like to wear vintage watches in the water. Or I mean, again, this is. From 97 so well, i guess i think that technically yeah. qualifies as vintage these days i mean it's over 20 years old which kind of sounds right. crazy but yeah, it's, I that's, think it's vintage 
That's, that's terrible, man. Well, you're, I think you and I are about roughly the same age, so it's like weird to hear like yeah, 1997. I like I remember 1997 very vividly, you know? So yeah. I think that that's vintage. It's uh, uh, he puts you up there in age, but uh, cool, man. So, so that's what I got on my wrist. You, yours is, uh, I'd say infinitely cooler. Uh, well, but yours, uh, they both yours have is awesome. It's got a good story. So are you, like you said, you don't want to have to get the case redone or refurbished. Mm-hmm. Like when you wear your watch, you get it scratched. Does that just freak you out? Are you like a, try to, you know, kind of cover your watch when you're walking around a corner so you don't bang it into a wall or. <laughs> so I definitely don't want to bang my watches into anything. Right. And, and I feel that pain. I'm sure everybody who's, who's worn a watch for a little while and you hit a doorknob or the first time. Well, so. The, the first, my very first watch, uh, Swiss watch that I bought was a PAM 380, which is a 45 millimeter steel radiometer. I think I paid like three grand for it or something like that. And I was so proud of it, right? And I just, I was wearing it everywhere. And I loved it. Um, and I think like a week into my ownership of this watch, I took my seatbelt off. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. And now I changed my behavior because of it. I took the seatbelt off. I just like clicked the button. Lit the, yeah, lit the seat. I just, that's how I used to take my seatbelt off. Listen, people who know me know I'm not very, I'm not like a delicate flower. I'm not very careful. I don't pay attention to details. It's not what I am, kind of a bull in a china shop, right? So that's how I used to take my seatbelt off. Click the button, let it fly off. So I did that and the buckle slammed against the um, uh, the bezel of the 380, putting like a nice dent right on it. And it just, it. Oof. I just felt it in, in, the, in the cockles of my soul here. I just felt yeah. terrible, man. I was, oh. So that was the first time I, I banged up a watch. So uh, my answer to your question, though, is um, I the first scratch or the first ding or dent is always painful. But after that, like, you know, you just kind of get used to it. And some of your watches get beat up. I, I'm much more careful. I'll tell you this. Just I used to be somewhat of a clumsy person, I guess. But I think wearing a, like a, a, an expensive watch on your wrist uh, uh, forces you to pay more attention to where you are, not, you know, bump into things. And like, so if I'm walking, if I'm making a left-hand turn around a corner, I always put my arm behind my back as I'm walking around to hide the watch. Uh, same thing when I take off my seatbelt, I take off my seatbelt with the, wa- with the hand that's, uh, that's wearing the watch. So I use my left hand to unbuckle and I pull it across my body. So, you know, little things I, I do to, to protect myself. So, yeah, uh, but no, I don't go I, that far, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on I'm, I get basically the first that, scratch so. it just sucks and then after that you're like alright it's been scratched I bought it because I right. want to wear it and let's just wear it and have fun with it yeah I, I you know I don't want to over polish my watches so you know I just do my best not to to bang them up I mean, scratches on the clasp and on the bracelet it happens it is what it is those don't bother me as much but yeah scratches on crystals freak me out uh, scratches on bezels and like large things on, uh, like I feel bad. Like I like it's hap- it, If I hit the watch and I see a dent, I go, "What? Oh!" Like I look at it like it's a living being. Like I didn't take care of you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I feel remorse for the and like guilty to the watch that I didn't yeah, take care yeah. of it the way it should have been. You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, it's it. That's a struggle. And like, well, in the pool too. You know, I'm I like I wear contacts, so I don't open my eyes under the water when I get in the pool. So I'm like. I'm always in my head. I'm protecting the watches. I'm like, am I getting too close to the edge? If I'm swimming under the water and stuff, so feeling for the edge always. I'm a baby in the water. I hate. I don't like the sensation of my head being under the water, and that's. Really? I mean, obviously, that's more for like an ocean because that's just way scarier to get you know dragged out. And believe it or not, okay. I'm I'm a sinker. I'm not a floater. So really, uh, I would assume you'd be buoyant. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got plenty of fat. That's for sure. But uh, no, I, I just. 
over time, I just don't really love my head being underwater. So even in pools, I don't do it too much. And okay. um, a pool is, you know, a leisurely place for me. It's not uh, sure. not somewhere that I'm going to be going crazy and banging my, myself in the walls. Okay. So you're not like me, the guy who's doing handstands in the pool. And no. Trying to like make it across in one breath. Not at all. Oh, I'm a, I'm a big baby with that comes to that. Okay, that's interesting. So, so, but I mean, obviously you like to go in the water because every time I talk to you, I feel like, hey, is it like your, your one emphasis is, is it water resistant? Can I wear it in the pool? Yeah, I just want watches that I can do a lot with. Um, you know, I don't want to have to say, all right, this is the only watch I can wear for this one activity. And this is the only watch I can wear for that. And this is specialized for that. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the things is I've been collecting that, uh, the main thing is to buy what you love and, you know, you want to fall in love with it first. I mean, no one needs a luxury watch. So if you're going to get it, you should get it because, hey, I saw this thing. It took my breath away and I thought, man, I really right. need to have that. Um, mm-hmm. But secondly, I mean, you want to be able to, to use it. And so, you know, if you've got a collection full of you know precious metal dress pieces and, you know, I live my life in, in Nike shorts and Nike t-shirt and uh, way more casual than, than the variety of people. So, you know, those, right. those aren't really the watches that uh, appeal to me quite as much. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we do like to travel and, you know, I just want to be able to have a cool watch on and I like wearing the watch. So I want to be able to, you know, if we're take it, if our travels take us to a pool or a beach or whatever, not have to think about it, just be able to jump on sure. in and, um, you know, there's a couple of pieces that are going to lean a little, you know, sportier and more likely to travel with. And so for those in particular, like a world time, um, you know, I think world times are awesome, but the kind of Patek dress world time without a date. I mean, if you're using the complication on the world time, the date is like the most important part of that. Cause you're, you're traveling, you have no idea where you're going to be. I mean, if you're theoretically using it in an office in New York and you need to know what's going on in China, I mean, I still think you'd want a date on that thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, I do get a little particular about, uh, you know, complications and <laughs> what I want, but that's also, you know, kind of purposeful to prevent me from getting too many watches, uh, in a weird way I build up, you know, all these kind of false barriers. So, um, it makes it easy to say no. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. I mean, uh, having a complicated watch, but that is not complicated enough is super annoying and, and I th- feel like, well, like a paddock world timer is, is like belongs in a, in a, uh, what do you call it? Like a boardroom. You know, that's, that's where that watch belongs. It's not like when people say, you know, oh, that's a world time trek. I don't see that watch, you know, trekking through the mountains of India, you right. know, and, and crossing borders and things like that. You know, that's, that would be certainly, uh, you know, as dressed as it gets. So it's, uh, and, and I think I, I'm, I'm with you in terms of having a water resistant watch. I th- I'm, thinking the only watch I have in my collection that I wouldn't that I well I guess there's two watches that I probably wouldn't wear in the water it's going to be obviously Speedmaster <laughs> um every yeah. every every collection needs the watch though you never wear it because there's always a better watch in the collection I mean some guys you see it that's all they wear and I'm just yeah. like like I don't even want it to rain on that watch I can't wash my hands with that watch you know it's the <laughs> and then the other one would be I have a Cartier, Cartier Santos uh the new version of the Santos which um I I don't trust a watch without a screw down crown to take it in the water. Yeah. Uh, so even if they say it's, you know, however many meters uh, water resistant, I just wouldn't take it in the water. Yeah. Understanding water resistance took me a while and I still kind of refer to the charts, but I mean, it seems like 50 meters with the screw down is okay for swimming. 50 meters mm-hmm. without a screw down, probably want to stay away from. And then 
once you get to hundred meter plus, I mean, I don't go diving or anything. So I just need it for kind of base level, uh, like swimming and beach activity. So I kind of look for that, you know, 50 with screw down or hundred baseline. Makes sense. That's it. Well, so one thing that, that people never take into account when it comes to, uh, water resistancy is that a lot of these brands, the way they, they set and test their water resistancy is on a little simulator. And it's a static simulator. So it's basically just they put it in the in this. Uh, so well, sometimes there's ones that are like uh, it fills up actually with water. But others, it fills up with, with air or compressed air. And what it does is it just it, it, they, they test it to that rate with no movement. But if I am wearing my, say, 50 meter uh, water resistant watch and I jump into the pool. So maybe I'm not going 50 meters down, but I'm creating more than 50 meters pressure when right. the watch hits the water. And so... People are like, oh, this thing should be, you know, water resistant uh, to, you know, to uh, to 50 meters. But I jumped right in the pool and whatever. It's like, yeah, well, listen, man, you're you're creating a lot of force, so it's pressure. It's not actual depth, and that's uh, that's a distinction that I don't think not a lot of brains do a good job uh, explaining that. You know, people are just kind of left to figure that out, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, that's one thing when you got a chronograph that's able to to dive. Typically, it'll be kind of the, the screw out pushers and. You know, when you're looking to go time something, it can be a little cumbersome to kind of unscrew those, and then you got to click it and remember. And that's another cool feature of the JLC is it's got just a quarter turn system, and uh, you turn right. it just a quarter, and then you know it's got a red arrow telling you that you need to, to close it back to dive with. But kind of chrono on the go, you don't have to, to unscrew it too much, and uh, just another cool advantage to that piece. That that is a good advantage here, yeah, because that's that's a scary thing too. When I have so basically, like say like a Rolex Daytona, where you have three screw down crowns, and like I would like I always before I get in the watch, I get in the water, I'm always checking to make sure my watch is you know the, the crown is screwed in. Luckily with the Panerai, it's very easy. Yeah. If the um if the crown guard is closed, then you're good to go. But like that's something I you know if I if I was wearing a Daytona in the water, that would always freak me out that I have to make sure that all three of these things are screwed down, and because you definitely don't want to press a chrono pressure in, in water. That's why, like, there's watches that don't have screw down, they're, they're screw down crowns, but they have basically exposed uh, chrono pushers and they're supposed to be divers. I would not take that in the water. What if you accidentally hit the pusher? Right. Like, what the hell? No, that's it's, a good point. It's very scary. Yeah. But, uh, nice. So, um, so you, well, okay, let me ask you this. Um, how long have you had an interest in watches? I'd say I've always been interested in watches. I mean, even going back to, you know, being a kid, I remember, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, so we go to Disneyland, you know, every few years, and I had the, mm-hmm. the Mickey Mouse watch, and um, <laughs> I think that's somewhere back in my parents' house in some drawer. I, I've looked for it every now and again to just try to say, hey, is it somewhere? Because I'm pretty sure I saved it, um, and then, you know, always kind of had a watch on or been somewhat interested in them, and then... Uh, when I got to college, uh, for bowl games, typically you get, you know, kind of a watch with kind of the bowl logo on it. Um, so you're oh, able nice. to get, you know, kind of a, a free watch every year or two, which was cool. And then, oh, wow. um, you know, got to the NFL and still had a, a decent interest in him. And then one of my buddies, uh, one of his friends, uh, they were kind of big time watch guys and, and got me into the, the luxury aspect of it. And so, um, really that side of it and just kind of watching the market and all that has really been the last four or five years, I'd say. Sure. It's a kind of evolved for you. So, um, 
uh, it's actually, I have a funny story. Uh, my friend, John Callahan, who you know, mm-hmm. um, used to uh, run a, uh, a watch boutique in Cleveland, which that you were drafted by the Cleveland Browns. So I know your first, uh, how many years were did you spend in Cleveland? Uh, four. Four. So he was telling me during a podcast that I had with him that he remembers you coming in with, I think, two other players to look at to look at watches, and he was like, "Oh wow, these guys are like, you know, this is pretty cool." He's a huge Browns fan. He's a big sports fan. He's like, "Oh, I got these guys coming in, and, and they're like, they actually like watches because he's a big watch nerd, of course." Yeah. But uh, that's uh, that's funny, you know. It's small world, obviously. Yeah. No, that's cool. I I think the store had some like Italian or French name or something that was hard to okay to say, but I definitely remember that watch shop. So that was one of the best ones to go to for kind of alternative brands. Yeah, weird stuff, right? Like MBNF and uh, I think Grubel Forsey, like all sorts of the weirdest stuff. Debethune, I think they had everybody. Yeah, but that was before I really knew about those. So I was just kind of <laughs> building my kind of base level of understanding at that point. So I wish I had known about it. I would have, you know, appreciated it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's how it goes. But, it, you know, that's the thing about watch collecting. It's kind of a journey. So it's like it's a cool hobby because it evolves constantly and, and you know, you can control the pace of it and everything. So. Um, uh, I'd say it, it controls it. the pace. Uh, All right, sure. like a once lot you get guys, started, there's momentum. Yeah, a lot of guys. Once you get down that rabbit hole, uh, you know the first few steps are are pretty slow, but once you fall down, it, right. it goes fast. Yeah, I well, I personally like I enjoy watching that. I mean, now I've been doing this for almost eight years, and like I have guys who I started off who used to like think about maybe buying a Panerai. Oh, do I, can I spend the five thousand? And now, like I had the same guy. Is uh is spending you know routinely spending fifty thousand dollars on watches without thinking twice and I'm just like it's like you get to see the evolution and then obviously you know they get to, yeah. they do better professionally so they have more you know uh, more access to funds and then they get to they, their t- taste evolves so it is it, it's an interesting journey um so I guess uh I'd like to ask you what your first like the first luxury watch that you purchased for yourself that wasn't a gift uh, what was that watch. So that was a Cartier. It was the Calibre Chronograph. Um, oh, nice. So the guy that, that got me into it, he's a big Cartier guy. He's got um, like a Santos XL. He's got, um, I think he's got like a rose gold Ballon Blue with like the kind of dark brown strap, which is really nice. Um, oh, yeah, might 32 have, millimeter, I'm assuming. Yeah, he might have like a, one other tank or something, but... He was always big into Cartier, and when we were looking, I mean, he kind of showed me those, and I think that was their first in-house movement, um, which he had, you know, kind of told me about, and I got into that whole uh, world of understanding, you know, movements, and still don't really know how valuable the whole in-house movement thing is. Probably overrated a bit these days, but yeah, um, yeah, it was cool. So. I mean, it was a forty-four millimeter watch. It was you know sporty, but also you know had a nice elegance to it, and obviously fit my wrist pretty well. Um, sure. So that was the first one. Like you said, I mean, that's one of those things where I never spent anything close to that on a watch and was, was freaking out about it. And he just kind of, you know, queasy, right? told me to You're trust like, oh, it. Yeah. Doing this? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's funny how that works, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the first Believe one. It. And so, um, I don't have that one anymore, but I, I, I enjoyed really? it. For, Did you trade it or? Yeah. I ended up trading it. It, it was nice, but it, it just, I don't know. Part of it was that, for whatever reason, and I got it serviced, so, I mean, it, it worked properly, but I couldn't seem to get it to sit on a nightstand overnight and, like, still mm. run the next morning. 
Um, oh, wow. And that was even after servicing. And so, um, you know, I don't know if it was something I was doing wrong, wearing it or winding it or I don't know. And then it just, I think it was kind of a tweener fit in terms of um, just like size. And so I, it was either slightly too tight or slightly too big. And I don't think it had, you know, adjustable clasp, clasp system where um, I could no. get it and just... One of those things, just over time, you know, kind of faded out of love with it and uh, sure. wanted to, to try something different. Nice. Well, I will tell you this. It wasn't it wasn't you, most likely. Uh, there was a good stretch of time where Cartier had some, like, pretty serious um, QC issues. Okay. Uh, looks like they fixed that. Uh, they've kind of um, re refocused on their movements. So, like, I haven't had any issues with my Santos. I haven't had any warranty issues with any watches in the last few years, but I do know that they did have a QC issue and that's, it's probably what you were experiencing, unfortunately. Um, and then in terms of the fit, like, well, so you have, I think, is your wrist nine inches? <laughs> it's yeah. About, about nine inches. Eight, I'd say like eight, seven, five to nine. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So, so yeah, it's going to, I have to imagine it's going to be hard to find a watch that like fits you, you know, the way you like it or, or am I wrong to do seem like most watches fit you. Obviously you need extra large bands and whatnot. Yeah, so I, I run the problem that, so typically the extra large bands, um, what they'll do is they'll put a lot of the extra length in like the six o'clock side, so the side with like the holes. Sure. And so my thing is like I need the other side to be longer, um, otherwise it doesn't fit like properly on the bottom of my wrist, like where the clasp is. Um, and that's just, I don't know if that's just the way my wrist is designed or the proportions or something but you know if i get extra links on a, a bracelet watch i'll get them all on the 12 o'clock side and it'll look really weird uh you know when you're yeah, looking at it balance. and you'll think there's no way this fits right and then i flip my wrist over and it's perfectly centered underneath um oh yeah if i i've had to you know for a watch that had a deploying clasp i had to essentially flip the sides and kind of turn it into one of those reverse deployments even though that's not the way it was made but once i did that it solved a fit issue for me and then it wore a lot better. Um, you know, sure. cause for me, if, if that, that 12 o'clock top side's too, too short, it ends up like tugging the watch and pulling it, you know, kind of up the wrist. And that's kind of the biggest issue, uh, for me in terms of, you know, feel on the wrist and, and how comfortable it, it fits. And so, yeah, a lot of the times I just end up going custom, uh, leather strap after the fact, if it is uh, leather compatible. Um, sure. So that has, yeah, I mean, that's something that I kind of look for in a watch. And, you know, to get a, a bigger watch to, to fit the wrist, you know, typically you're looking at, you know, 44 plus millimeter and uh, a decent right. amount of the time those watches end up being pretty chunky. And, uh, you know, that's something yeah. that uh, kind of bugs me as well. I'm kind of uh, a stickler for, I guess, case proportions and just the, the ease of the fit and the way it wears. And that was the biggest worry for me about, you know, this JLC that I keep talking about. Um because it's, you know, like 46.2 or something millimeters, but it's also about 15 or 16 millimeters thick. And I thought, you know, maybe that was going to be a bit too thick, but it's worn awesome. Mm -hmm. It wears, you know, broad and, and relatively flat. And I think, you know, even though it's primarily uh, platinum, like I said, it's got that titanium core, so it kind of takes the weight down a little bit. So it's not quite as, sure. you know, top heavy on the wrist. And so um, that's, that's the worst. Yeah. It's another thing, you know, I've learned throughout this mm -hmm. journey is, um, you know, if it's not comfortable on the wrist, no matter how much you love the aesthetic of it, you're just never going to wear it. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, always thinking about that and, you know, the proportions of, of the case and how it's going to fit, uh, that's a, a big mm -hmm. part of my thought process as well. Sure. 
That makes sense. You seem like you're very analytical when you make your uh, your watch purchases. I try to be. I mean, like I said, we don't we don't need these things, man. So, uh, right. you know, I try to make sure that it kind of checks the baseline boxes for things that is gonna are gonna make me want to wear it. Like I said, I mean, if it's not, you know, feeling right, if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't, um, you know, wear well, I'm not gonna wear it at all. So you kind of got to get sure. over that hurdle, and then after that um, comes down to you know the aesthetics and you know what it can do and how cool it is, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, makes sense. So you're so you're not like me who sees a watch you know, builds like a strong lust for it within an hour and make sure by the end of the day I have it purchased and then hopefully it fits and I like it. So. Yeah, that's just, it's, that's, it's, that's not quite my process. <laughs> but um, like I said, I kind of build those artificial walls to you know prevent me from having the number of watches you do, which, uh, you know, yeah. I think it, you know, 10 to 12 is kind of a place where you could even say, hey, I can get down to five to eight. But um, most like, yeah. You know, but then, then you got to like figure out which ones you don't love, and it's like telling which children, children, uh, one, which one of your children, like, uh, listen, you're great. I liked you at one time, but uh, not loving you right now. It's exactly. so hard, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's why I ended up with I don't know how many Panerais I have, and a lot of them look very, very similar to each other. Though to me, they're all very different. So <laughs> yeah, it's like identical twins. I mean, you know the difference, right? but someone else looking at them, hey, isn't that the same thing? Yeah, there you go. I like that. That's uh, that's a good analogy. I really <laughs> that makes me feel good. So, um, the uh, so you uh, so your first watch was that Cartier. You traded that watch. What did you trade it for? Um, that's a good question. I believe I <laughs> traded that and another watch for something from you guys, but I don't. I think that. And something else went towards the Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms. Um, okay. And so I ended up, you know, kind of, weirdly enough, I when I first got into, you know, looking at these watches, I, I hated divers. Um, for whatever reason, like, they just seemed like they got those thick, chunky bezels, and I didn't like that, and it didn't look good. And I just, I've always been kind of a against the grain a little bit in terms of, um, you know, not wanting to get the same watch everyone has. And so you kind of just hear about the Rolex the Mariner and it seems like everyone's got one. And, um, you know, when I first started looking at him, I kind of fell into the camp of, oh, everyone's got one. So it can't be that cool. And it's kind of a, a boring everyday watch. And, um, as I learned more about them, I mean, obviously they're a fantastic watch and don't begrudge anyone for yeah. getting one because they are just kind of the perfect get it and have it the rest of your life, hand it down, don't have to worry about it. Um, but for me, I mean, a 40 millimeter dive watch probably wasn't going to fit me too well. Um, right. You know, I learned about the history of, you know, the first dive watches in, in 53 and Blanc Pond technically beating Rolex to the market with that. And I thought that was a cool history. So they claim. Well, <laughs> yeah, is, so they claim. That's, this is contention in the watch world. All these, every every company was the first dive watch, the first automatic, the first chronograph. Yeah, but, so. But I think, I think Blanc Pond substantiated though. Yeah, I think it is. And then Rolex, so there's, I want to say when Blanc Pond came to market, it was rated to like 92 or 94 meters. And mm -hmm. Rolex like came out with theirs a couple of months later and I don't think it was a hundred meters, but like within the next year or two it came out with the first hundred meter rated watch. So they claimed they mm -hmm. were the first hundred meter dive watch and basically like mm -hmm. stole the first dive watch 
category from them. They just kind of threw in the 100-meter disclaimer. Um, so, did you say it was 1953? That was the year that the sub and the 50 Fathoms, I think, both came to market, yeah. Released. So then, so my question is, as a Panerai enthusiast, Panerai was making dive watches during World War II, so in the 40s. So I guess, is it, are, are they saying that those were the first production yeah, pieces com- and obviously yeah the- for like commercial production okay. and purchase uh, okay. yeah obviously panerai the history right. of you know <laughs> being worn in but wars and the it? water yeah yeah but i mean who really knows like, these brands get their history gets jumbled up and and like somebody just makes a claim and then now it's like well can we do some research on this <laughs> nope no i can't really do yeah. any research on this no but that's one of the things with blanc pond that you know some people don't love the history of it because they didn't really produce watches for, you know, a stretch of a few decades. And so right. um, people will say, oh, yeah, they might claim to be, you know, the first commercially produced dive watch. And then they're out of business for 30 years. So how good could it really have been? Um, so there's, right. you know, a couple yeah, ways to look at it. And, you know, obviously Rolex has been chugging pretty nicely since 53. So um, I think they're doing okay. Yeah. Even today. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, cool. So. So you're 50 fathoms, right? Because I, I know I think I remember you making that purchase. And then so well, why don't we do like a little bit of an overview of your of your collection then? So I know you, so obviously you have the JLC, you have the do you still have the Blanc Pond? I do, yeah. Okay. I know you have a Panerai. I do. I have the two sixty six, which is yeah, very uh, a one out of thirty. It's a rose gold with like a matte blue dial, uh, manual mm-hmm. wind. I think it's a day power reserve and also got they call it a gmt it's technically a dual time i don't know why they do yeah. that um but it's not a 24-hour counter so to me it's not a gmt it's a dual time but oh, um you're a stickler it's a cool piece um i do have a speedy as you said everyone's got one well so the uh you're well just just to be clear you're the panerai is it's a radium mirror too it is yeah so, so that's a 45 miller 45 millimeter uh radium mirror um, sure. Which wears, you know, pretty well. It's a great watch. Was that was that your first Panerai? No, I had oh. a four forty one, which was the black uh, oh. ceramic, and that one was one that just like fit and wore also terribly. GMT. Yeah, also GMT, but also or not GMT time World Time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was one that really cemented my thoughts on case proportions and wearability. Uh, it was a 44 millimeter Luminor case, but it was like 17 or 18 millimeters thick. And I, no matter what strap I threw it on, it just kind of like flopped around on the wrist. Just, it was just so mm. big and bulky and I didn't love it. And, uh, yeah, I ended up moving that one on. And, uh, so this one's my second Panerai and, you know, it's a millimeter bigger, but I think the case wears better. It's a few millimeters thinner right. than, than that one was. And, um, you know, those, those wire lugs, um, it just, it's just, right. it's an easy, or, easy fit. It's basically no lugs. And that's what's so great about that. Essentially. It wears, the, the radio mirror wears more like a 42 because it's just, it's a big flat case with no lugs. And the, you know, the strap just kind of goes right up against the case. So I think I would compare it more like, well, I know you're going to tell us in a minute, but it, I think, is it your only Rolex? Is it, is a, um, the 42, uh, Explorer? Yeah. So... So I think they wear very similar. The 44 yeah. bracelet and a 44 on a strap like that, or 45. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but the Rolex, I mean, that one's like like two or three millimeters thinner than, than the Panerai. So 
that one feels like super thin to me um, when you throw it on because like you said, I mean, with the lugs, the lug-to-lug is probably bigger on the Explorer 2 than it is on the, the Panerai. And so, uh, oh, there we go. Yeah, he's showing me my, uh, yeah. his Explorer 2 right now. So uh, yeah. I got the I got Polar the Bion. Out. You got the white. Yeah. Yeah, you and Jason both. I think I've talked about it before. I think that you could actually own both those watches in the same collection because the dial coloration makes such a big difference. Yeah, I agree with you. And part of the reason I got the white, uh, one is I just didn't have a white dial in my collection and needed something a little bit lighter. And then also, um, you know, I think over time it'll, it'll kind of age well. I mean, I know it's not going to probably do the, the cream dial of, of the mid 80 ones, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious to see how that one ages over time. And then I just think because the bezels, you know, the, the steel, the silver, um, the white dial kind of blends into it a little bit better. And so it looks more sure. like a true 42 millimeter dial than it does, uh, where the black one's got the contrast from the bezel. And so, uh, for my wrist, I've needed the one that probably is going to look a little visually bigger. And I thought the white dial did that right. better. That's interesting. So uh, I'd say traditionally a black dial is going to look bigger than a, uh, than a white dial. But I think I agree with you in terms of the, the white dial does create enough contrast to make it seem like it, 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 it wears bigger or looks bigger. Yeah. And that's one I think on, you know, the current ceramic Daytona, the black dial is going to look bigger because it's just one color scheme for the entirety of, of the case where the white dial is going to play a little bit smaller because there is that contrast and then you're truly just seeing the smaller white dial inside of, of the bezel. And so, um, yep. also weirdly a piece that is super small to me. Um, I didn't realize how small yeah. Daytonas were until I saw one in person. Yeah. Well, so a couple things on that. So like, cause they're both 40 millimeter, that one and say like a Submariner, but it's basically like there, it feels like there's like a four or five difference, uh, in millimeter size, four or five uh, millimeters difference in the size, because you get with the, with the Daytona, if people haven't tried it on, it's got the rounded lugs, rounded case. It seems more, much more refined and the bracelet seems to taper a little bit more. So for those reasons, it wears yeah, much, much smaller than, say, a sub, even though they're, like their case dimensions are technically the same. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. So back to collection. So I've got a Speedmaster. Yeah. Uh, I actually found a birthier one from 89. Um, and oh, so wow. I had a Dark Side of the Moon, um, which, again, didn't wear super well for me. It was a little bit thick, and I just couldn't get, you know, kind of the right fit with it. And so... Um, I moved also 44 millimeter in yeah automatic. and also ceramic so I fell into the uh-huh. trap of thinking oh man I really need a ceramic case um which led me to the Panerai which then I flipped into the Omega <laughs> which then I realized like oh, the Omega visually is is beautiful it's got you know especially in the sun I mean the indices like catch the light really nicely the crystal's awesome it's just like a really vibrant piece in the light especially and so I love the aesthetic of it. It just didn't wear the best form for me personally. Um, and I know people, sure. you know, love those and, and wear those. But um, so I ended up getting this Omega, um, you know, from 89 Speedmaster. Um, you know, probably the smallest piece of my collection right now. Um, that's one that's 42 millimeters, 42, technically bigger right? than a Rolex Sub, but wears super small. Um, and so I, I just like that one, though. It's, it's a cool Again, piece. rounded rounded case rounded lugs and also it's uh it's manual wine so all those make such a big difference you know and that's that's why i always preach that like the size of the like the millimeter size of the watch usually does not tell the whole story 
Yeah, and then, I mean, moving into the next piece, so after last season I got the F.P. Jorn uh, Sontograph, yeah. uh, the Line Sport collection, the titanium with the uh, the yellow dial with the red accents, kind of Chiefs-themed, um, you know, had a, right. a good season personally, and then, you know, team-wise we made it one game away from the Super Bowl, but, um, you know, just kind of saw that piece, thought it would be a cool commemorative uh, version. I happened to make, you know, the APL Pro t- team um the, i made the first team from the first time which was was really cool i made a couple second teams and so um one of the, sure. the few times i've you know yeah. kind of overdue marked a uh thank you but one of the few times i've just said whatever i'm just going to get this because i got a cool accomplishment um and so that piece you know 44 millimeters um very sleek i mean kind of classic jordan that he keeps it really slim and then, you know, some people don't love the, uh, the integrated bracelet system. They think, you know, it's a little bit too thin maybe or uh, doesn't quite look mm-hmm. right. But that one wears, you know, pretty small for me. Um, you know, it's 44 millimeters, so by size it's, you know, pretty decent size. But like you said, in terms of, you know, wearability, it's basically got no lugs. It's just kind of the bracelet connects to the case. And so um, that one wears Seems. small, but it's uh, a super cool watch. Um it's the, the sonograph, like I said, the, the hundredth second timer. So being able to kind of watch that sure. thing fly around and, um, I don't go out and time myself running the 40 with it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm able to go to the scouting combine and time whoever I need to with the, uh, mechanical watch, nice. which is, I think really awesome. There you go. Finding use and, and, and frivolous luxury purchases. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> exactly. But that's another one that's, you know, really easy to wear cause it is titanium um, I think the movement's aluminum on that one even. Um, I think the original version was... I know they, they were. Yeah, the original was just 100% aluminum, which was even lighter and I think a little more difficult to work with. Yeah. So they transitioned it to titanium for the uh, all the, the right. case and well, it was. Plate. So the story was that aluminum, it's so hard to work with that it was basically breaking all the tools. So like when he started first making the, um, the sport in aluminum... Uh, they, they said they have no idea how, how many they've made. If you talk to Pierre, uh, Pierre Halimi, can't give you an actual number on how many uh, how many in aluminum they made because they only just counted how many total they made is what he says. Who knows huh. the truth is here. Or if he was just didn't want to look it up for us that day when we asked. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the aluminum is it's it's very durable, very light, but it's incredibly hard to work with. So apparently the the story is that it was breaking all the tools. So... They couldn't make. They didn't. They wanted to stop making the whole case out of aluminum. Titanium is much easier to work with, so then they switch it to titanium. And then now these new forty fours, they're all titanium cases. But yeah, I believe the uh, most of the components of the of the um, the movement are aluminum, which is uh, a cool. Like, what other brand is working with aluminum? Right. I mean, I just know? think you know. I know he gets a lot of pub on and from you guys, but I do think he makes a lot of awesome yeah. stuff. Um, you know, the resonance in particular is probably my favorite dress piece, but, um, you know, sure. probably wears a bit small on me. Um, but just like, you'd be surprised the 42, uh, resonance might actually work cause it's kind of thick. I know it's, it's too big for me. So really? there's a, there's a slight chance it might work huh. for you. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, but something to think about. yeah, the, or the new vertical turbion, maybe that's your next purchase. Very thick. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big sucker, <laughs> both, uh, physically and pocketbook wise. So uh oh yeah that, that's yeah, yeah. that's it's not a big contract before you buy yeah that i know that's uh <laughs> out of the, the the price range there sure but uh yeah well it's so have you met jorn yet i have not um okay so we gotta make that happen yeah that'll be cool i've heard he's uh 
an interesting guy, but interesting a lot of fun character. to be around. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. You know, love to meet him. It'd be cool. Yeah, he's a very passionate individual, very focused. You know, he knows exactly who he is and what he's there to do. And, and I, like, I always, uh, from my experience with him, I always, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, describe him as like a terrorist in his own building like people are just terrified of the guy because they don't want to upset him and like they, you know he's he's got such high standards and like there's no he asks you to do something you do it right it's not even asking it's an order so but you know but you see what comes out of that type of passion is these unbelievable watches that you know are different than everything else i mean there's no other micro brand or independent that is as successful as you know as he is like you can't you're not going to call ap or uh, uh you know paddock or rolex like you know, even though those are independents, those are not the you know in the same class as like a, a, a micro brand. We're just the vision of one guy. So I mean, you have like Vutalainen. Um, you also have like the Gronfeld brothers who make like unbelievable watches, but no no one has been as successful as as Jordan it seems. Yeah. Like, to this. And point. I love that he just seems to not give a crap about what anyone else thinks. I mean, I'm sure he's gonna just yeah. stop making the Chronomet Blue just because it's too in demand. He's just gonna say screw you guys. Um, and I've just stop doing that. Yeah. It seems like a, a Jordan move, and he just makes the yeah. amount of watches he wants, and that's it. And um, he's just like you said, he, he knows what he wants, and I respect that. I mean, that that's really cool. I'm sure he can make you know fifteen hundred watches in a year if he wanted. I'm sure he could sell them for more if he wanted, but easily, you know, he kind of uh-huh. doesn't really need to do that. It's all about just making you know really cool watches, and um, you know, I'm sure he makes a decent penny off it, but it's not about you know truly maximizing yeah. his profits. No, yeah, he could be raising his retail prices, which he hasn't done yet. And even when he took investment from outside investors, which you know some of us thought maybe this this might be, you know, the end of kind of that uh, era in Jordan. In fact, it was the opposite. It was just a way for him to secure himself, so he doesn't ever have to, you know, kind of kowtow to anybody else. He gets to just do what he wants, which is that's that's very inspiring, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's the American dream in Switzerland <laughs> from a French guy. <laughs> there you yeah. go. A fr- yeah. A, fr- uh, a hearty French watchmaker in Switzerland is living the American yeah, dream. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, God. So, all right. So, the Jorn, which was, I know that was a huge purchase for you. That was unbelievable. Actually, I have a friend of mine who got the same watch as well. And you guys kind of bonded over social media yeah. with yeah. him. The Jorn identity. Yeah, he was so stoked when he found out that you got that. Or that once he got it and knew that you had it, that was really cool. Um, and then what else? What, what, what was your, what's the next watch in your, um, in your collection that you would... Well, I mentioned the Ox earlier. So that's the, that's right. the Ox Un Junior um, yeah. perpetual calendar that I got. Um, kind of custom-made process from them. I got it in 47 millimeter uh, titanium case. It's kind of a you know, celebration of my football career type of watch. And so um, it's actually not fully finished because the case back um isn't you know up to the standards of what they want it to be but it's been a long process and they wanted me to have the watch and wear it and so um they're currently moving headquarters uh as we tape this and so once they you know finish that process i'm going to get back together with them and and try to you know figure out the final solution because you know respectfully to them i mean they it's fully done it's finished it's you know built in in the way that that we wanted it to but you know, it's not up to, to their standards. And so they, they want to find a solution that, you know, is similar to the original design of, of what we thought it would look like and feel like and everything. So um, that one's super cool in the metal. Uh, I got it, you know, earlier this week uh, and I've been really enjoying it. And it's it's hard to take photographs of it just because, like I said, I mean, it's got this 
vibrance to it and the light. Um, you know, I ended up going with their, uh, they call it German silver uh, dial, mm-hmm. which is a silver, I guess it's kind of got that like, you know, bronze kind of brownish hue to it. Um, it's got some sure. some graining, some vertical graining in it, which I think is what catches the light and, and kind of makes it shine. And uh, 47, um, you know, about 12 or 13 millimeters thick, titanium uh, wears super well. Um, I sent him a couple mm-hmm. footballs, and so the, the watch strap is actually uh, made from NFL football leather, yeah. uh, which is really cool. That's so cool. You sent me pics of that, man. I was, like, so stoked. Yeah, That's they so did cool. an awesome job with it. And, uh, you know, another piece that, you know, Are those, like, talked about. game balls by, by any chance? Or? Yeah. So one, I sent him a couple. Uh, one was, like, more of a newer one, so it's kind of the, the brighter whatever football color you want to say. And the other was um, right. a used Pink one. Skin. So it was more of kind of that, that worn brown leather. Um, so I've got, you know, the option to, to switch those around. And we also got a, uh, a sturgeon strap. So their their watches typically come oh, on, on nice. the sturgeon strap, um, which feels like buttery, like soft yeah. and smooth. And that one's going to be awesome to wear because um, another watch that, you know, I wanted all the specs for, it's, it's automatic, it's, you know, 100 plus meters water resistant. Um, you know, I personally think if you're going to have a perpetual, uh, if it's not going to be your only watch that you're winding every day, if it's manual, it's got to be automatic. So you can, you know, throw it on a winder, sure. keep it running, and you don't have to, to set it every time. But one of the cool things with Ox is their whole thing is simplicity. And so, um, you know, it's got Ludwig, Ludwig Oxlin's um, kind of base UN, you know, 118 movement to it. And so, I think it's got like right. nine parts total. So basically anyone can uh, work on it. You can set it forward or backwards. It's got a little wow. dot on the, the dial to tell you when you are able to set it, but it's all through the crown. It's super easy. Um, kind of just an all-around perpetual um, that can do everything. You can wear it wherever. Uh, sure. Obviously, it's a very different aesthetic um, than, than most people are used to in a watch, but uh, I really well, dig it. So if people are not and familiar with the brand, which most people aren't, because you talk about a, a micro brand, they make, I think they make less watches than Jordan does. Jordan makes, yeah, they make like 150, like a hundred, yeah. right, okay, 150 a year, very small brand. So it's, so, uh, if you're Googling it, it's, um, it's Oxen Jr. O C H S U N and then the word junior, right? Cause it's, it's yeah. him and his son. Is that, is that okay? So that's a good, that was a good guess. <laughs> I worked it out. Um, and they're, they're, they're known for making very minimalist, but industrial minimalist watches. So instead of like a Moser, which is like dress minimalist, they're like industrial minimalist. So, but in the kind of the same, almost same feel. And like, I think they're, well, they're both like German Swiss. So they're, they have like, there's almost like a, a, a slight sarcasm to whatever, to what these both companies do with, you know, it's, if you can't, if you don't know how to read the watch, you won't be able to. And like, if you, if you showed me your watch and I had never, ne- ne- I had never seen it before and you said, this is a perpetual calendar, I'd laugh in your face. Yeah. But, you know, it's, they uh, have a system for telling the time. It's really cool. Yeah. So if you do go to the site and you look at it, um, if you go look at the watches and you click on the perpetual calendar, they have a little tutorial where you could basically like click through all the different, so it'll go right. through, you know, all the little dots around the perimeter for the date and then it'll show you the leap year system. It'll show you the power reserve. It'll show you, um, the running seconds. It's even got like a little running seconds dot at the, at the, the bottom there. And so, like you said, I mean, if sure. you just looked at it first, first blush, you'd have no idea what's going on. Uh, but it's super easy. It's all, I mean, kind of geometrical and everything falls into place. Makes and sense. it's the, 
normal aesthetic of, of a watch in terms of the hands, just trying to figure out what all the little dots mean. Right. Well, it's, it reminds me almost of like an Urvert where like um, where they have like their, their rotating like planetary system to tell the time where if you look at it at a glance, you're like, there's no way you can tell time. And then once you kind of focus in, you realize, oh, this is actually as simple as it gets. Like it makes a ton of sense. And I think my first uh, experience with Oxen Jr. was that way that like I looked at it first glance, what the hell is this? You can't tell time. Then if you stare at it long enough, you can start kind of figure things out. Obviously go to their website, which... They're one of the few brands that has a very good website. Watch brands are not good online, it seems like. Uh, slowly getting better. But yeah, the, the way that they their tutorials are actually fantastic. I remember going through those probably four or five years ago when I when I got my hands on the first one that we had way back at Watchywant down here in Florida. Yeah, but they're, you know, obviously I wasn't able to, to see the piece or anything in person before, but um, right. very, very pleasantly surprised with it and, and how awesome it's it's been to, to wear around and... Um, you know, like I said, it's kind of off the beaten path, but I do kind of prefer that in, oh, yeah. uh, in a watch. So. You got the only one in Kansas City, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, probably in the whole state of Kansas or Missouri. I guess you're in Missouri, so probably both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not many out there. That's That would be a fun meetup. Uh, everybody who, who has a uh, Oxen Junior Perpetual. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you could organize that's going to that. be a very small group. Probably... A small enough group we can meet right now, oh, so yeah. uh, can't meet more than ten people. And I'm oh, sure yeah, that's it's, right. Uh, yeah, it would be within well guidelines. under the the CDC guidelines. <laughs> All right, so let's make it happen. <laughs> Maybe we'll make a we could do a group podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man! All right, so the Oxford Juniors that that one has been so because well, you were talking about that before the Super Bowl, right? If I remember, because you started this process before that. Yeah, I started. Back in like it was July or August, um, and we had, right. we had laid out like a full um, schedule of when we expected things. I wasn't sure um, they have an assembly program where you can go and uh, visit them and like literally assemble your watch. I mean that's one of their like you said the minimalistic part parts of it is they they say hey your watch is so easy to assemble and anybody you can, come can make here this. and you can assemble it <laughs> um, which i thought was super cool i just uh, didn't know with the football schedule and being able to work that out um, if that was going to be a possibility so we kind of left that open um, obviously i wouldn't have been able to do it anyway but i ended up not opting for that and so it was supposed to be done somewhere in kind of the january february range um, because we were doing you know a custom case back custom engraving um, working with some different colors on the front and trying to figure out the style and, and what we liked. And I was trying to do that throughout training camp and football season too, which for me, as people can tell, I love watches. Right. So that's a nice attraction for me. Um, but like I said, I mean, it kind of, the case back situation dragged on a little bit longer than, the, than they would have liked. And so, um, you know, that, that led them to just say, Hey, we're just going to send it to you. Um, you know, like we said, you know, case back's not where we want it to be. We'll get it perfect. And then, as we've talked about the minimalism, uh, they can literally just send the case back and like I go to a watchmaker and they unscrew the case back, screw it back on, you know, water test it to make sure the gasket's still working and like that's it. It's that simple. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's one thing that uh, yeah, I didn't realize that they're they're that minimalist in terms of their the engineering. That's uh that's actually adds a little level of attraction to me for these watches too because that's always a concern whenever I buy a watch like for example like Panerai went all in house with all their movements I kind of prefer the previous ETA movements because it's more serviceable there's more guys who know how to do it the parts are more available so so personally I kind of shy away from 
um, uh, in-house movements, but maybe an Oxen Junior maybe makes sense because it seems like it might be highly, uh, highly serviceable. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. So I guess, uh, well, we're start. let's wind this, wind this down a little bit. And I guess my, my next question will be maybe probably my last question. Um, you know, so, uh, have you made a celebratory Super Bowl purchase? Are you are you going to attribute the Oxen Junior to that, even though you started thinking about that beforehand, or are you thinking about something, or like what's 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 the process there, or or nothing? Are you just gonna you just get your ring and no? Know? I've been I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm not sure what I want to do, what direction I want to go. Um, I do have an AP uh, scuba that's incoming um, that is currently in the shop, just getting. The bezel wasn't like 100% aligned to 12 o'clock, and I realized over time that was going to drive <laughs> okay. me nuts, so I figured might as well just get it fixed while we can. Um, so I'm still waiting that, and then with this whole situation, who knows when that's going to come. But the cool thing is the right. it's a Royal Oak Offshore, um, I think the original diver um, from like 08 or something. It's a boutique special, and so the interior uh, ratchet dive bezel is actually red, so... Um, Chiefs colors, which is cool, and then we're gonna fit it with uh, one of their a red rubber strap, which looks super cool uh, on the watch. And so that one's supposed to come, you know, end of month or you know maybe next month. And so theoretically, I could kind of attribute that as a Super Bowl watch, even though I was purchased before the Super Bowl. Oh, you got that before. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so uh, that you know, I'm not sure when I get that if that's gonna just feel like a Super Bowl watch to me. Uh, the Ox is more of a just like kind of career journey watch um, uh, on the case back. We got a football engraved and then also the logos of the Browns and the Chiefs because kind of just encompasses my whole journey. Sure. Um, I got some thoughts, you know, what potentially getting like a, a super cool watch uh, as a true Super Bowl watch. Um, you know, talk to some people. We kind of think, you know, going to wait to see the ring um, potentially kind of match up the medals and the color schemes and, um, you know, see if there's a, a possibility to do something cool there. Um, so Richard you, Mill makes a red watch. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple teammates with those. Um, they're really cool. It's, right. uh, well, honestly, the the one that's been sticking in the back of my head's a, a Voodalainen, um, because he does make a forty four point uh-huh. five millimeter watch. Believe it or not, um, he's made a couple mm-hmm. of those custom. Um, and I think, I mean. Just kind of looking around, I think what I do is something because it's Super Bowl Fifty Four, so you could do, you know, a five and a four right. on the dial, and it just kind of looks like Fifty Four, and have those maybe in red, and the rest kind of create like sure. a California dial of sorts, like a Panerai California dial. Oh yeah. And so do like Roman numerals yeah. for the rest of them, and do a five and a four for that, and then obviously, I mean, you can't go wrong with a, a Voodoo and so um, I don't know. Sure. Interesting. Well, we'll see. I'm gonna. I know some of the Eagles players at and Philly got some custom uh, work done to like their uh, gold GMT. It's like a big flashy gold Rolex, and then <laughs> I think they had like uh, some uh, like uh, something on the dial, like uh, I can't remember. I think it was like basically the uh, what the the ring oh, looked like cool. had that on the dial. I saw those. That's a cool idea too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, in my process, I think I'm gonna. Wait to get the ring, kind of see what that's looking like. Um, obviously, in no real rush to do anything. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see from there. Uh, I don't, I don't see myself being a, a Richard Mill kind of guy. If I was going to spend a couple hundred thousand, <laughs> there's a lot I think cooler and better watches in terms of 
Yeah. I don't know. There's that's getting into minute repeater category. That's getting into Grubel Forcey tour beyond category. Right. Um, I'd probably lean. Some I can sort see of you wearing a Grubel Yeah, I've I've looked at those, but man, those are freaking expensive, and I don't like I said. I mean, yeah. I don't know that well, that's maybe... ever going to be. A realistic price category for me. Prices might be coming down now. I mean, listen, you know, well, though we, what's funny, we've been seeing, like, I've been paying attention, obviously, because we're still buying and selling them. Been selling a lot of watches, and prices have come down. But on the on the super, you know, high end watches, we haven't seen like uh, an insane drop. We've seen like ten to fifteen percent, kind of across the board with all brands, and that even even with Richard Mill, even with the Grubles and things like that, we've seen you know a drop in. And value, but nothing like not half or, or like you know three quarters drop in value. So I guess that's that's good uh, for anyone who's been buying watches over the last few years. Yeah, and like I mean, we talked about that a little bit, but I think the guy who's buying a Grubel is going to be the guy who his portfolio is maybe down 10, 15, 20 percent right now, but that still means he's got fifty million mm-hmm. in his portfolio. So uh, you know, I think he's right. gonna exactly. gonna be okay. Um, I think it's gonna be like you said, kind of that three to twenty thousand dollar range where people are you know kind of saving up throughout a, a year to buy some mariner or something like that and my hope is that this right freaking burst the twenty five thousand dollar daytona bubble and that pricing <laughs> comes back to earth a little bit um but that right. to be seen well those they're they're down a little bit i think uh, they're closer to 20 than they're 25 but uh if you ask my buddy mike manjos or I mean, I could see it happening as well. That once this thing clears, there might be a big boom, and then things go bonkers. Like I, the question I, I've asked Man Jose and a few other people, it's like, you know, uh, first question is during this downturn, do you think we'll see a sub twenty thousand dollar white dial ceramic Daytona? Uh, they said very possibly. And then the question was, after this thing goes, you know, goes away, and we feel like there's a boom, do we see a thirty thousand dollar ceramic white di- uh, ceramic? Uh, White Doll Daytona and both those guys, Jason and, and Manjo, said, don't, "Don't we don't see it going to thirty? But we could see it like 26, 27, Which it was at twenty six just three Jeez. weeks ago. So that's crazy, man. It's crazy, that's crazy. Yep. Hey, man, Rolex. You know that's uh, the magic of Rolex. Well, does that mean the fifty seven eleven is going to get back to like seventy grand? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know uh, we. I I know a confirmed sale of one the other day for fifty five, and if you go back like two or three months, there was I know a confirmed sale of ninety thousand. So there's definitely Nin- a precipitous fall in that one, but I did say for that a Tiffany one that's a or for, for ninety thousand. Normal. I don't. I I'm trying. Oh, now you put me on this. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was Tiffany. Okay. Uh, you said auction. Auction's a little auction. different. The, yeah, that was not that does not representative of the market price. The watch has been around probably around seventy thousand for a while. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a uh, it's a wild world out there. Um, not a bad time to buy a watch now. It, you know, uh, pre-owned watches right now are definitely down in, in value across the board. Not a bad time to buy. So you know, if you see something, you know, <laughs> let me know. Or, or you know, I'd say I'd say if you're thinking about it, if it's a good time to buy, I'd say if you have the money now and you don't have to worry about you know buying food with that money. It's not a bad time to, to buy a watch because the prices are Yeah, down. I mean, it's obviously, I don't think watches are you know, long-term investments, but in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, you want to buy low in the stock market now when you can, if you have, you know, an influx of cash, it's, you know, similar to a watch that, you know, there's probably going to be as good a value as you're going to get on them. So, yeah, call up Josh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, call me. And, uh, all right, well, um, is there anything you want to plug, anything you got going on that you want people to check out? 
Um, you know, if people are bored throughout this time, I've been Mitch cook, in the cooking a lot. Yeah, I've got a blog, MitchInTheKitchen.blog, because yeah. the dot com was taken. Uh, but um, what the? I'll, I'll, I do one. I do recipes on there every now and again. I haven't done them since last year, but I'm gonna start. And you know, by the time this airs, I'll probably have I've thrown up a few recipes. Uh, but on Instagram, especially, uh, which is I believe Mitch Schwartz seventy one, um, I've been doing a bunch That's of cooking great. stuff, um, posts, stories, kind of that whole shebang, kind of showing people the process of of how I do things and um, cooking up a lot of good food. I mean, like we talked about, we're kind of stuffed indoors right now and uh i'm a big guy i need to keep eating and you know i'd say my two kind of non-sports passions are, are watches and, and food and so uh if you got any interest yeah. in that just uh check it out on instagram cool any any interest in starting a uh, cooking youtube you channel? know i've i've thought about that um i've had some people say i should do it i've did some stuff a year or two ago I'm one of those people, yeah. by the way. I think so I did some it. stuff a couple of years ago that kind of led me to do the blog, which is I would do tutorials and I'll kind of film myself cooking. And it was kind of rudimentary. And I think for what I would want a YouTube channel to be, I don't think I'm there yet in terms of production quality or having the experience or the ability to do that and the desire to, honestly, to do all that work and all the editing. And so if it ever became something that, you know, I would do, I'd, probably do it in a more professional manner um and so with what i'm doing now i think you know kind of twitter and instagram in particular with the, the story capability um i think that that covers it and then sure. if i want to do a true recipe I'll, I'll write it up on the blog and post it for uh things that are you know easy nice. enough to to kind of bring to life so am I, if i'm reading between the lines maybe after retirement of the NFL, you'll put more effort into it and, you know, maybe do a professional, you know, style YouTube channel. Cooking. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I've, I've considered a career where, you know, I do some sort of food related thing, whether it's a cooking show or, um, something of, of the like. I mean, I don't know that I'd necessarily be the best guy to do a diners, driving dives type show. Cause you know, guys a little more, <laughs> more personable than I am, but, um, you know, I do, kind of the analytical side to, to watches that we've you know talked about for the last hour. I feel like I'm similar sure. in the same way to cooking. And so, um, you know, I like explaining why I do things the way I do. I mean, the other day I showed, you know, how I make, you know, breakfast and, you know, I started the bacon in the pan. I cut it in half instead of full strips. I started on, on low heat and uh, gradually bringing up the temperature and kind of being able to explain all those things as I go and uh, teach people along the way. I, uh, I really do enjoy that. You gave me a great tip, which I've been using because I, like you, I'm I love to cook. One one of my greatest pleasures is cooking for my wife, and I like to do that now. I get to do that three meals a day, so it's a, it's a nice stress release. It's like a uh, I can't draw. I don't know about you, but I can't draw. I can't paint. So like <laughs> that, my creativity comes out right. of my cooking. Um, but you you gave me a great tip uh, when making eggs in the morning is uh, one uh, one white two yolks essentially right. So um, adding a second yolk to you know either well, i guess yours was uh uh you were frying the eggs it wasn't even a scramble but extra yolk it creates like a better a better um, yeah so mine kind of came from the breakfast sandwich mold so i mean i think most people know kind of the egg muffin from from mm -hmm. mcdonald's and so um that's just you know one egg so you end up getting a lot of white and not too much of the the yolk not to mention that they cook the yolk beyond recognition there but 
I, I would make breakfast sandwiches at home, and I got these cool little egg molds from from William Sonoma that it makes it easy. And I would do crack one whole egg in there, you know, cook it, and you know, I'd like to leave the the center slightly slightly bit runny. But you still just have a lot of white compared to the yolk. And uh, I ended up throwing a second yolk in there, and it ends up being the the perfect ratio of uh, yolk to to white there in terms go. of uh, breakfast sandwich. But you can of course go the other way. Yeah. I mean, if you're making a scramble and you want to be a little healthier. You know, you start with one whole egg, and then you add one or two just whites, um, which isn't going to be Sounds quite like as tasty and, and rich and creamy <laughs> as, as the yolk would be. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of getting towards just do things in moderation, have have it the best way, and just you know don't eat as much. Um, I think that's the sure. way to go. Makes sense. All right, so if you take one thing from this podcast as a listener, add a yolk. <laughs> to your breakfast uh to your to your egg scramble but all right cool well this was this has been great mitch um appreciate you uh sitting down and talking with me about watches today so i guess uh you know stay indoors stay safe and uh hope to hope to see you in miami again uh in the next i guess uh six months let's let's put it at a time well hopefully months. i'm able to travel there and uh thanks for having me on it was a lot of fun and i appreciate it cool awesome Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you later.